I have two messages for us next week. I will be speaking. I wasn't going to, but I'm going to go ahead and, and do that. A farewell message that the Lord has laid on my heart, but I've, blessed, I've been blessed to serve you these seven and a half years. They've gone so quickly, and serving you has been the great joy of Terry and I's life. The fact is, message this morning is mob mentality. We need a mob mentality. The fact is, and I'll explain that just in a minute before you say pastor wants us to go and burn things down. No. Uh, The fact is we need one another. One another is mentioned in the New Testament 79 times. We need one another. This is not a solo run. Forsaking our fellowship makes us easy prey for the enemy. We've seen that over and over again. And it really shows our immaturity. Not to be involved in a local church is the most immature thing you can do. Not to be involved in a local fellowship is the most immature thing that you can do. Must link yourself with other believers. Flesh to flesh, eyes to eye, ear to ear. It's one thing to watch it on the TV and on YouTube and all those fancy devices we have now. But there's nothing like one-on-one, together, in a group. Come on. A mature believer realizes his or her need for others and pursues relationships that will help them reach their potential. You'll never reach your full potential without somebody else being with you. You can't do it alone. You're going to shipwreck. We need one another. Mob mentality, maintain, obtain, and believe. It must be our rallying cry together. Our mentality needs to be that we will not get there without one another. No one will separate us, and each one that cries to the Lord, the Holy Spirit sends to a body. And it's important and vital to the effectiveness of the message preached, the lives lived and the power that is present in His church. Jesus Himself never sent anybody out by themselves. He sent them out two by two. Two by two. Uh, Years ago, I asked one of my professors what would be the ideal evangelism and he said we've missed what Jesus did when he sent them out he sent them out two by two could you imagine two great evangelists being together and ministering you heard what happened to Perry Stone can you imagine if Perry Stone were ministering with uh, Ken Copeland or come on somebody together unity so the first one is maintaining. Turning your Bibles is probably up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, and be strong. Father, we pray this morning for our courage and strength. God, we pray that in this time, when it really means something to this generation, where all eyes are on the church right now, God, we Covenant with you to renew our strength and our courage. God, to be all that you called us to be in this hour. God, it's the deep that you've called us to. It's the unknown that you've called us to. 
And God, we want to walk in that deep. We want to be able to uh, function as you purposed in this generation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Danny. You stirred me up, Pastor. I just can't resist. I've been thinking all week, one of our candidates have declared that we don't have any miracles anymore. And that pushed me over the edge. And I've turned into an Elijah. I said, okay, the battle's on. Church, we better wake up. I've been praying all week, and this is where we need to stand together as a mob. I've been praying all week. No coronavirus virus is going to last through this year. It's going to disappear from this nation. We need to stand and declare that and show him that a miracle can happen. Our God is a miracle God. And you don't tell him he can't do miracles anymore. We need to stand together as a mob and declare it in a spiritual realm. Take authority over that thing and uh, tell it to get out of here. So thank you, Jesus, that we can do that. You have given us authority here on this earth and to release your power as you gave me the word last week. We need to take that authority. So, Father, we stand together here as this little church in Rochester, a bunch of your sons and daughters. We stand together right now, and it says every knee your word will bow to the name of Jesus. So this crazy virus or bacteria or whatever it is has to bow to the Jesus name. And we declare that you are dead and you cannot operate in this nation anymore. Deaths have to stop. Uh, new ones being attacked has to stop. And you're going to stop. And we're going to see that miracle. And we praise you, Lord. And thank you. It's not because of us, but it's because of you working through us. Mm-hmm. And you turned this earth over to us and declared that we rule. So we are declaring that this thing is dead and that you will receive the glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Danny. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Have courage. Be strong. Anyone can be a Christian at a conference or a rally or a particular gathering. But where it makes the difference is when opposition happens. Courage. The King James says, quit ye like men. I wondered what in the world does quit ye like men mean? That verse says, watch, quit ye like men. Be brave, be strong. That means free by discharging one's duty. We forget that when we were saved, when you and I came to Christ, He owns us. 
We have no rights. We have plenty of privileges. We have all the power that heaven's got, but we have no rights. We're no longer, you know, somebody said, I'm free. Well, that's true, I'm free, but I'm free in Christ. As long as I stay in Christ, when I step out of Christ, it's as if I was never saved. We must stay with Christ. We, by definition, are children of God. We reflect His glory and His essence. And in this hour, you and I need courage and strength. One summer morning, Ray Blankenship was preparing his breakfast. And he looked outside, saw a girl swept along the rain-flooded drainage ditch beside his home in Andover, Ohio. And he knew that further downstream, the ditch disappeared underneath a uh, road and emptied into a culvert. And so he ran out the door and, and raced along the ditch trying to get ahead of the floundering child. He hurled himself into the deep churning water and sur- he surfaced and was able to grab the child's arm. They tumbled end over end and within about three feet of the culvert, he freed his hand, uh, his free hand felt something, possibly a rock, and grabbed a hold of it. He clung desperately, but the tremendous force of the water tried to tear him and the child away. He thought to himself, if I could just hang on until help comes. He did better than that. By the time the fire department uh, got there, he had pulled the girl to safety. Both were treated for shock. And he was awarded the Coast Guard Silver Life-Saving Medal. The awards fitting for this selfless person was even, even a greater risk than most people knew. You see, Ray Blankenship couldn't swim. Couldn't swim. We need courage. And courage is doing something that you're afraid to do. If you're not scared, you don't need courage. I didn't say fearful, I said scared. Not knowing. Because none of us know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. Nobody knows what's going to happen. We need courage. The days ahead will try the hearts of men. We will face some pretty horrendous things upcoming. And how we deal with them will be the path God will use to reveal His power to us. We in no small way have been forced this year to look at things the way they really are. The veneer has been taken off sports, Hollywood, government, All the facade is taken down. We've seen people for who they really are. We've seen great athletes that we aspire to be like. Be wicked and evil and say wicked, evil things against people. We've seen Hollywood go completely bonk. If you didn't know they were bonkers before, you sure know it now. The thin veneer of fake religion has been pulled back and we see the ugliness of sin and degradation even in the church. It's a purpose and a reason for that. We need to be strong and have courage and be, be ready to face everything that we're going to face. The only thing that has changed is the truth that's been exposed for all of us to see. That's the only thing that's changed. God has not changed. He's strong. 
He's called you and I to a walk of courage. And we need to have liberty as we're being strong and courageous. Galatians chapter 5, 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You and I, my friend, are free and we must maintain that freedom. Constant vigilance must be practiced by you and I. We're not trying to get free, we were made free. See, free people don't need to be free, they are free by nature. I'm preaching to you today. I'm preaching to you today. You're free. Any bondage that you may feel that you have is by your design, not God's. God made you free. Created you a new creation. Made you free from all that the devil has in mind for you. We must remind one another pray for one another, challenge one another. It's contagious. If we'll remind one another that we're free, we pray for one another to stay free, we challenge one another to remain free, it will grow. It will result in a mature church. We do not need a childish church in this tumultuous time in this world, not just the nation, in the world. We've got to stop having meetings that talk about the many-colored robe and Goliath. Man, this is serious. We are struggling for the souls of men. We will secure our walk with a herd immunity to sin. One of the things that Danny was saying, this coronavirus, one of the things that absolutely made sense to me, is to have a herd immunity. Let enough people get coronavirus and we'll build up an immunity against it and it'll be like the 320 or 32 million viruses we have on the globe now. We've allowed this thing to become a Goliath. I champion what the church is doing in California. The church, if you haven't heard... The governor of California has forbidden singing in churches. Forbidden. You can't you can get together and I don't know what the limit is. I think it's a hundred limit or something, but you can't sing. You could talk, but you can't sing. And so there's a whole movement in California on beaches, in fields, in parking lots. The church is getting together and just having a worship service. All over the all over the state right now it's happening. It's rebellion personified. Said to the governor, you can tell us whatever you want, but we're going to continue to sing and praise our God. And the secret is, is that God inhabits the praises of His people. So the very thing that they're trying to shut down, if people can't see what's happening, they're blind. The attack is to keep the church quiet because God inhabit, the devil says if you can't sing, God can't inhabit the praises. But guess what? God's inhabiting the praises of his people. Liberty. 
God's called us to liberty. Christ has made us free. Not set us free, made us free from the ground up. I'm a free human being because Christ died for me and gave me a new life. And there's no one that can put me in bondage. No thing that can put me in bondage. Unless I choose to be in bondage. Come on, somebody. We are a mature church. We will secure our walk with Him. The third thing is, is to be one. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We need to be one. There's power in oneness. There's an old uh, cartoon strip, Lucy and Linus, in Peanut Strip. Lucy wants to change the TV channels. And Linus asked her the reason she was the boss. Why do you get to pick the TV channel? She says, I have five reasons. One, two, three, four, five. And he hands her the control and he says to his fingers, why can't you guys get together like that? We have to be one. We have to be one. We've got to fight for being one. We've had differences and church splits and there's jokes about, you know, this church and that church. The guy on the island I told you about several months ago, you know, he was on the island for five, five years by himself. And so they finally rescued him and he was taking him around, showing him how he, he survived, you know, the hut and the whole thing and the food and the garden and, and so he went over to a building and he said this. He built it out of thatches and stuff. He said, this is my church. And they said, we're pretty impressed. They walked out and there was another building just off to the right. And he said, what's that? And he goes, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> There's a cry for independence. Don't buy the lie. We're not independent. We are dependent, the body of Christ. That's why we're called the body of Christ. My body didn't come in three pieces this morning. When I woke up, I didn't attach things. My body woke up together and it will go to bed tonight together. There's a reason why we're called the body of Christ. We've got to work together. We have a common enemy. That is Satan. That's the only enemy that we have. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. A.W. Tozer, in his Pursuit of God, good book to read, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer, little old but worth reading. I think, Steve, you might have that in your library that I gave. Has it ever occurred to you, I'm quoting, that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Our unity is in Christ. Our unity is in relationship with Christ. I'm always thoroughly amazed. I haven't traveled overseas for a while. It's been a couple of years. But I'm thoroughly amazed when I 
go to another country and meet someone that I never met before that instantaneously I feel one with because of their oneness with Christ. They are brother and sister in Christ in just a matter of seconds. I'm amazed at that. But our oneness is in Christ. We must be one. We must struggle against the flesh to have the differences. We will always have differences. Thank God that everybody's not like Terry. She's a wonderful woman, but thank God there's only one Terry. Thank God there's only one Rick. Come on. We need to be in unity despite our differences. Fourthly, we must hold the line. Tradition can be a rut or an entryway. We must hold the line. We must use it as an entryway to the glorious outpouring of God's Spirit. We must hold true to prayer. We must hold true to the gifts of the Spirit. One of the hardest things to find these days, we're moving to South Carolina, one of the hardest things to find is a church that actually moves in the Spirit of God. It's amazing. They talk about it, but they don't allow the Spirit to move. Even here we hear less and less praying in tongues. I encourage you, man, pray in spirit all the time, as many times as you can during the day. God inhabits that. He speaks to that. Hold the line. Hold the line of holiness and purity and respect and honor and faith. They are the earmarks of a holy pattern of tradition. God is not mocked. Whatsoever we sow, that shall we also reap. We don't need to come up with new ways. You know, the church for so long has been on this kick of saying, what's a new way that we can reach the world? We don't need a new way. We need to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That doesn't change. Come on, someone. So we maintain. Secondly, we obtain. We get. We run the race. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Not only maintaining, but reaching ahead of our grasp. Always moving forward. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You are after the prize. And what is it? What's this prize that you and I are running for? One, I think, it's knowing God and knowing ourselves. That's the prize. It's, it's a settling, peaceful thing to be in the midst of somebody that knows who they are in Christ. And that's our pursuit. Running the race, hearing what heaven is saying and being current with what heaven is doing. It's knowing why you are here. Why am I here? It's knowing why you are here. 
now in this moment? Why are we here now in this moment? What is God's purpose? Otherwise, we'd be with Him. Come on, somebody. Otherwise, we'd be with Him. Because we're going to live eternity with Him. This is just a slice of what we're going to experience forever and ever and ever and ever. And if forever starts in heaven now, if there's no purpose for us being here, but taking up space, I'd much rather be in heaven. Come on, somebody. On the corner of Glory Street and Hallelujah Boulevard singing praises. I'd rather be there if all I'm going to do is take up space. Am I preaching to the right people? Come on. What's God got for us? What's God got in store for us? Reaching our relatives, our friends, our neighbors. Being a holy difference in an unholy world. Being a holy difference in an unholy world. Light in the darkness. What, what is our purpose? Why are we here? See? Running a race. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Remember I was a young man in Bible school and I was in prayer. I, was in, I used to go up and skip class. I'd go up and get in a janitor's closet. You heard about the prayer closet? My prayer closet was a janitor's closet. It was old wet bops and brooms. And I'd sneak in there and close the door and get on my face and just pray. And I remember the Lord showed me about this verse, Hebrews 12 on. I was reading it as I was praying. And the Lord showed me about running a race. And I saw myself getting ready to run a race. And I had about three or four coats on. I had a pair of uh, galoshes and I had shoes under those. I had three or four pair of pants on and I was all weighted down. He said, you need to take a lot of the cares of the world and the things that you love so dearly and give to me and trim down and get ready for the race. I'll never forget it. I saw myself disrobing and getting down to shorts and a t-shirt. Back then I ran and then for many years I ate and then I ran, I ran again. So running is very important to me. But running the race, endurance is what God is looking for. Anybody can start. Very few are able to finish. Come on, someone. You know what I'm talking about. January 1, got all these things you want to do. This is a new year. I'm going to do this by January 3rd. It's about how long it lasts. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we ask or hope for. All He wants us to do is to ask Him. He'll give us the right way to do things. We're not, gonna, we're not cookie-cutter Christians. What works for me don't work for you, but God's intent is that we both be victorious and cross the finish line. Amen. See? Lay aside every weight, no matter how hard it is. There are things that God asks you to die to and to quit to, and you've not done it yet. There are things that God said, stop. Don't do this anymore. And you've not done it yet. Because it's become a little pet of yours. I encourage you to let it die. 
I encourage you to put it aside. Stop doing it. God's got a replacement for you that will blow you away. You already know that. God has replaced other things in your life. Lay aside every weight, no matter how hard it is. Anything you put before God, by the way, is a golden calf. Anything that you put before God is a golden calf that must be destroyed. Idols must be destroyed. Anything that comes before Jesus needs to die. He's to be first in our life. Amen. The race continues. There's no arrival until we get to glory. We've not arrived until we die. Come on, somebody. The place we have attained to must be a springboard to where we are headed. If God gets us to a place, it's to get us to another place. Always moving forward. New life is on a major crossroads right now, the church. It's interesting that um, I, uh, I don't get vision for the church these days. That belongs to the le- current leadership. But I know this. New life is at a major crossroads. Your decisions as a fellowship over the next few months will have a major impact on this region. Please heed my words. I'm prophesying now. Your decisions as a church over the next few months will have a major impact on this region. On this area. That's how important new life is to this region. Don't get all proud because there are other churches that are just as important. But God is using new life as a tool for revival. The Lord will arise in your midst out of your obedience to pursue, says the Lord, and lay hold of the promises He has spoken over His body of believers. The people have come and gone, but the call remains the same. See, it's not about one or two people. Thank God that I join, Terry, and I join with you on this road. Thank God. It was one of the best experiences we've ever had. But the call continues for this area. There are souls that are weighing in the balance of what you do or don't do in the next few months. Think about that. Maintaining our walk, obtaining God's promises. The third thing is believing. Believing. We have an obligation to tell others. Without a message, there can be no response. You and I's call is to continue to tell the lost that they have a Savior. Continue to shine the light. God never said that we are lights only on Saturday mornings in evangelism outreach. 
We are lights all the time. You can't be anything other than a light. Jesus didn't say, try to be a light to the world. Listen to me. He didn't say, try to, he said, I am the light of the world. Then he turned to his disciples and said, you are a light of the world. That means no matter how hard you try, your light's going to shine. If it's under a bushel, it's still shining. Pointing out sin without Holy Spirit is what the church has been doing. It's like telling someone there's a fire without any water to put it out. Telling people about Christ, telling people, not, not about Christ, telling people about their wrong and their sin without telling them the solution is like watching somebody burn and you got a jug of water on you. We've got to love them enough to tell them that Christ loves them, Amen. that there's an answer. Not get all shocked about their sin. Everybody go all shocked about Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is just another thing. Sin. Come on, somebody. Everybody gets all excited about this new way that the enemy has had to attack. It's the same old thing. It's sin and rebellion. Salvation is not by osmosis. It's divinely spoken words to strike at the hearts of men. It just doesn't happen. It must happen specifically because we speak. We must believe enough to talk about it. The great C.H. Spurgeon said this, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not to believe Him at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There's no logical standing place where between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is little better than a dry land faith and is not good for much. Live the life. Speak the life. Speak about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Talk about solutions, not problems. Everybody's talking about the problem. It's obvious. Sin. That's always been the problem. Since Eve ate the fruit, it's been a problem. Come on, somebody. Let's not talk about the problem. Let's talk about the solution. People ask how Terry and I get along so well. Because we're opposites, man. We are opposites. I'm jumping up and down and Terry's smiling. She's just, you know, I'm jumping up and down. I get angry and Terry's praying. We are opposites, but the thing that brought us together was being able to talk about it. See? Being able to talk about this thing. Talk it out. Talk the solution, not the problem. Let me give you a little key, husband and wife, if you haven't found out. Talk about the solution, not the problem. What worked for us is we took every problem that we had and said it. This is a problem. Let's solve it. Let's not blame each other for the problem. Let's recognize that the enemy has put 
something in our lives that we need to get rid of. Let's talk about the problem in a solving manner. When we solve it, the problem goes away. See, anytime you expose darkness to light, light wins. Every problem in your relationship is because of darkness. This is for free. Free stuff I'm giving you this morning. The problem is not what we concentrate on. Yeah, there's a problem. We don't ignore it. Faith doesn't get rid of the facts. It overcomes the facts. The problem is there. Okay, this is a problem. You're ugly and we got to do something about it. (laughs) Come on, someone. And that's what the church needs to do, see? We need to stop talking about the problem. The church is functioning mainly on pointing out sin. We talk about the problem. Well, you guys are rioting and, you know, Biden is this and this is that and Pelosi is this. We all know what that is. It's sin. It's demonic. It's all that stuff. But the solution is Jesus Christ. Can you imagine seeing some of these people? I've said it before. Can you imagine seeing them come to Christ? Can you imagine just a bank of, I see it now, a bank of, of, uh, of uh, uh, microphones and somebody standing there, maybe a Pelosi or a Schumer, and saying, last night I had a visitation from Jesus Christ. He came, he came and he spoke to me. He was all in white and he spoke to me. He said, Nancy or Chuck or whoever it is, I've come to save you. It would absolutely turn the world on its ear. But instead, we're praying, get them. Instead of that, the church is saying, get them, change them, kill them, get them, get rid of them, get, you know, get the uh, Ginsburg, get Ginsburg. Has anybody prayed for Ginsburg miraculous healing? No, we're all saying, you know, her heart disease and her cancer, whatever she's fighting, I hope it kills her so we can get another Supreme Court justice in there. What would happen if she got saved? Healed. Walk up to a bank of mics and say, I was healed last night. I'm cancer free. A doctor's just checked. There's no cancer. There's no, I'm just as healthy as. And I want to give glory to Jesus Christ Almighty. You don't think it could happen? Of course it could happen. Of course it could happen. Look at Paul the Apostle. I think Paul the Apostle was this gifted man, you know, walk, walking around like a, a saint. He wasn't a saint. He was a murderer. He was sanctioned by the king, by the Rome, by Rome, and by the Sanhedrin to go and gather all the Christians and throw them into prison and get them killed. He was an evil, wicked man. He was a Chuck Schumer. I mean, we're there. Come on, we're there. TV cameras on them. Paul's saying, I'm going to get every Christian I can get. Because they're wrong. And I'm right. And you know the story. Paul's minding his own business, headed for Damascus to kill more Christians. And God said, no, wait a minute. Whoop. (laughs) 
We think he was a saint that was, you know, oh, he was a godly man, you know, Pharisee, the Pharisees. He was a wicked, evil, religious heretic. God said, I'm going to change you into this. He became the greatest of his kind. I'm just silly enough to believe that God can do it again. Take the most evil, wicked person that we can think about, change their lives. That's what we need to be praying for, church. See, that's believing. We say we believe, but we believe God is going to come and destruct and destroy and, you know, the end times and the thing and the rapture and all that that we talk about. Oh, we're going to get out of here. It's going to be evil and it's going to burn up. And what if all these evil people get saved? We must believe. We must have a mob mentality. Believe again the scriptures. Wisdom and facts will not get the world to God. The message appears foolish for a reason. Scriptures say the the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. The reason why it's foolishness is the ones that will hear, they must come to the realization that they're lost, totally lost. That's what brought you and I to Christ. We realized that we were lost and in need of a Savior. Without hope, save for Jesus Christ. Their eternal life depends on it. No matter how bad they've been. Do you really want to see them burn in hell? I don't wish that on anybody. The most holy time we will ever experience is when a soul is at the point of union with Christ. That's the most holy time you ever experience. And the sad thing about it is, is 95% of the body of Christ have never experienced that. 95% of the body of Christ have never led a soul to Christ. The most holy thing that you'll ever experience is when somebody says, Jesus, come into my heart and change me. And watch the transformation take place. It is the... Think of Deborah. Deborah was a lady that was 20 years a... uh, a, um, heroin addict and a prostitute. She came into my office one day and uh, I got a chance to lead her to Christ. And uh, it wasn't over for her. She was saved right then, but the struggle was not over. She, uh, she struggled a lot. We, we had a lot of deliverance to do on her. But I, I like to tell this story. She showed up to church one Sunday morning and... Uh, we had one aisle coming down the center of the aisle. After the message, she came up for prayer. And she was in this pretty dress and a pair of high heels. And uh, she fell down. In, we prayed for her. She fell out. Her feet were pointed towards the back of the church. 
So she's laying there, and we, it was after service. We're kind of all standing, talking. And her body began to tremor like this. You can't do what she was doing. You, she just shook like there was an earthquake underneath her. She's shaking like that, and both of her shoes went flying down the aisle, off her feet. Terry and I are standing there looking at the shoes down there and looking at her laying there. and went, what in the world is that? So we just continued to talk and pray and stuff. And she got up. She came over. She said, was that you that was speaking into my ear? I said, I didn't come near you. I she said, there was a man's voice speaking to my ear. She said, see these shoes? I wore them prostituting my body. They were my favorite shoes. That voice said, I'm shaking you out of that lifestyle forever. She was went flying down the aisle. She was like 42 or 43 years old. I think I told you before, but she went to college and was on the dean's list the first quarter of her college. Her life changed forever, forever. See, the most holy time we'll ever experience is when somebody comes to Christ. Belief in Christ will cause words to come from our mouth about Christ. Working Christ in a conversation illuminates the darkness. Most are too embarrassed to work Christ into a conversation. Don't be embarrassed because when you mention the name of Jesus, he shows up. He'll make the conversation go smooth. You'll know when it's okay. My son and I were talking on his back deck, oh, about four years ago, three, four years ago now. And my son is uh, away from Christ right now. I'm praying for him because I know it's not going to be long. We're going camping in about a week. Two weeks. Well, no, four weeks. A month from now, we'll be camping. And uh, I'm believing for his recommitment to Christ. How many could say amen? I'm believing. Anyway, we're sitting on the back deck, and and, uh, we were talking about this and that. I think we were talking about hunting or something. He goes, Dad, when do you think the Antichrist is going to be on the earth? Hello. And for the next hour, man. We talked about the return of Christ and about all kinds of things. And then the door shut. But I know I got the chance to plant seed in his heart. And he's the one who brought it up. God intended for us to have holy moments in believing and speaking to the lost. Some will accept and others will not. Some will receive the seed beside the road, some on thorns, some on rocky soil, some on good ground. That's not your call. That's not your call. You can't create good soil. You can't create thorns. You can't create rocky places. That's between them and their creator. And it will either suffice to bring them to Christ or condemn them to hell. That's not your call. Your call is to be the light and to speak to them. Believing means that we speak about what we believe. We want success every time. We, want, we like it whenever we can just go up and tell somebody in five minutes. 
hey, you know, Jesus loves you and blah, 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 and you do this and pray and now you're saved. We love that kind of thing. Can I tell you how rare that is? Just getting somebody to mouth words doesn't mean anything. It's a change of heart that God's looking for. The results are left up to them. It's not you. Believing means that we speak. The responsibility to show them is ours, not theirs. We are to show, to expose, to bring the light, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that they can make a choice. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all men to be saved. If He desires that, do you think He wants us to be involved with that? Since He's partnered with us in the gospel, and He says that we'll be His witnesses, what are we witnesses to? The coat of many colors, Jonah and the whale? No. We're witnesses to the relationship that we have with Christ. It's not Bible stories. Thank God for the Bible. Thank God for the Word of God, but He's living. The Word of God is living, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, Hebrews says. Hebrews 4.12. Together. Maintaining. Maintain your walk with Christ. Stay current with Christ. Obtain what He has for you next. And believe. Share your belief with the world. It doesn't matter where we live or where we go. God will always use us. We are, you are an intricate, very valuable piece of real estate that God has invested in. He's invested in you. He owns you. He owns you. Thank God He does. Amen. Father, I thank You this morning. I thank You, Lord, that You do own us. God, that You bought us with the precious blood of Your Son. Lord, You own us. You've gotten rid of everything that was holding us back. You've sent the enemy to flight. You've made us a new creation. God, all of that for Your purposes and Your plans. God, we continually ask, God, that your spirit be poured out on this lost world. Thank you for making us light, stirring us up, making us salt, allowing us to preserve this generation until we see the promises come to pass. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now preach back to me. What's God saying to you about all this?